thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right, uh, uh, we're going to jump right in. We're going to continue in our series, uh, In Conclusion. What we're looking at is the conclusion of the letters and how uh, they would come back to those main points within the letters. So we'll get into that, but uh, we're going to look at the conclusion of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the church here, beginning in verse 10. He says, finally, say finally. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. If you were here with us last week, uh, we celebrated our mothers. Uh, We had ice cream Sundays after church, so we ended last week with ice cream Sundays. We're going to begin this morning with a game. So, uh, you're probably thinking, what kind of church is this? And I want you to look at somebody and say, the best kind of church. (laughs) Yeah. That's not just my opinion. That's according to dozens of reviews that I wrote online. (laughs) All right. Here's the game. I'm going to tell you about three different battles that may or may not have taken place. After I tell you about these three battles or these three wars, you're going to try to guess which one actually took place. The first one we're going to call the War of the Stray Dog. This was a crisis between Greece and Bulgaria that ignited when a Greek soldier's dog ran across the border. When the soldier ran across the border to retrieve his dog, a Bulgarian border soldier shot him and it ignited a conflict that resulted in more than 170 casualties. So that's the first war, is the War of the Stray Dog. The second one is the 355-year war. This war uh, was between uh, Great Britain and Argentina. It's considered the longest war in history, and pretty much everyone involved died, but it was from old age. Uh, actually, no one died uh, due to gunshots. It was the longest war in history and had zero casualties. Because what happened was uh, they resolved the war politically and they forgot to uh, declare peace for 355 years. And then in 1986, they finally declared peace and the 355-year war ended. So the first two are the War of the Stray Dog. The second is the 355-year war. And the last one is called the War of Pork and Beans. Uh, This war took place in the late 1800s. It was between America and Great Britain. And uh, what happened in this war is uh, they were on the border of Maine. And there were lumberjacks from each side 
and they were cutting down trees until they met uh, in the middle of May, and they got into an argument over who owned those trees. Well, lumberjacks, their, their main mill of the day was pork and beans. And what happened was the Americans called in troops, the British called in troops, and, and there was a standoff for 11 months. Uh, nobody died of gunfire, but they called in so many troops that it's estimated more than 500 people died due to diseases and accidents during that time. All right, so are you ready? We got the War of the Stray Dog, the 355-year war, or the War of Pork and Beans. Which one actually took place? If you think it was the War of the Stray Dog, raise your hand. If you think it was the 355-year war, raise your hand. A few of you. And if you think it was the war of pork and beans, raise your hand. Okay, everybody is actually right. Now, all three of those actually took place. Uh, the point I want you to hear this morning is whether you believe that those battles took place or not actually has no bearing on whether or not they took place. Uh, whether you recognize or believe that those wars took place does not determine whether they took place. And Paul wrote something here to the, the church in Ephesians. He said that our struggle in this life, the battle that we face on a daily basis, it may look like it's against flesh and blood and neighbor, but in reality our battle is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, whether you believe that is true or not, does not determine whether it is true or not. Whether you recognize that our battle is with spiritual forces in the heavenly realms does not determine whether that's true or not. not. The Word of God says that our struggle is not <coughs> against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and again, again against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, there is a lot more going on than meets the eye. And as Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Ephesian church, he says, what you need to know is where there is a spiritual battle, you need spiritual armor. And where there is a spiritual battle, you need spiritual weapons. Now, when we began this series a couple weeks ago, we looked at 1 Peter. And we looked at his audience that he wrote to. 1 Peter was written uh, to a church that was on the verge of persecution. They were already seeing pockets of persecution. If Paul wrote this to that church, to the persecuted church, it is the perfect audience. If you are the persecuted church, what Paul is saying here to, to the Ephesians, put on the armor of God, that is the perfect message. When they come and persecute you, clothe yourself with the armor of God. When they insult you, you put up the shield of faith. And when you've done everything else, you stand. But while the persecuted church is the perfect audience, it's not Paul's audience. We're talking about a different letter, a different audience, and a different message. Uh, what is the message that Paul is writing here? Uh, I'm going to oversimplify it this morning into two messages. Uh, he was encouraging the church and instructing the church. Paul was first encouraging uh, a church full of new believers uh, on walking in their faith and instructing them on what it looks like to walk in your faith. Uh, Ephesians, as such, is considered uh, 
by many the most encouraging and uplifting letter in all of Scripture. Uh, Paul is constantly reminding the people of God's grace and God's love. And in fact, Ephesians is only six chapters, and Paul uh, is talking about God's love and grace uh, over 25 times. Uh, it's in the letter to the church uh, here at Ephesus that Paul writes that it's because of God's great love for us. He's rich in mercy. God has taken us from a place where we were dead in our transgressions to a new place where we are alive in Christ. And he has done this wholly and completely and solely by his grace. It's here that Paul writes that uh, to remind the church that the grace of God is incomparable. There is nothing that compares with the riches of God's grace. That salvation comes by grace alone through faith. It is by grace you have been saved. Uh, it's here that Paul uh, says that he prays for the believers that they would have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is. Silas, if you can put verse 19 up. He says, and that, that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, I love what he's saying here because what, what he is saying to the church is you have to understand his love to understand the fullness of God. In other words, you can know every doctrine. You can memorize every sermon I preach. You can know the Bible from cover to cover. But if, if you do not know God's love for you, you will never know God in fullness. It's here that Paul reminds the church that we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably. Somebody say immeasurably. Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So you can see why this is considered to the early church one of the most encouraging and uplifting letters in all of Scripture. Then Paul transitions out of that and he kind of goes into Christian Living 101. Uh, he, he tells them, I urge you to live a life that's worthy of the call, to be humble and gentle and patient, to keep unity with one another, things that we should all know, but he's talking to the early church, this is what the Christian life looks like. Don't lie or steal, no unwholesome talk, don't be bitter, but instead be compassionate and forgiving. Then he goes into how uh, spouses should treat one another, how parents should treat children, how children should treat parents. So we can really see Paul's primary reasons for writing this letter are shining through. He is seeking to encourage the church and to instruct the church. But what I want to look at for a moment is what Paul does not write about. Uh, to kind of recap the premise of this series, we're looking at the conclusions of various letters, and we're looking at how these authors would would go into the, the meat of the letter, and then when they get to the conclusion, they would circle back and touch on those points again that they've been talking about, kind of to highlight them and to emphasize them. And we looked at this in 1 Peter. Remember, 1 Peter uh, concludes with that statement, be sober-minded and be alert. But in 1 Peter, he concludes that way because he'd already been talking about that. That was the third time that he gave that instruction, be sober-minded, be alert, have your antennas up. But remember, Paul closes this letter talking about the armor of God and the struggle that we face against evil forces in the heavenly realms. And what's so unique about Ephesians is the conclusion of Ephesians, of Ephesians 
seemingly has nothing to do with the rest of Ephesians. Now Paul is talking about grace upon grace upon grace. It is by grace you have been saved. But nothing to do with armor or battles or weaponry. And then he's talking about love and the, the, the love of God for you that can't be measured. It's so great for you. But nothing to do with armor or battles or weaponry. And then he goes into uh, instruction and wisdom and guidance. <coughs> but still nothing to do with armor or battles or anything like that. Why does Paul conclude his letter seemingly in a way that had nothing to do with the rest of his letter? And the answer is because we look at it from the wrong angle. Uh, the armor of God is it's flashy and, and it's catchy and, and it's a little poetic, but the armor itself is not the emphasis of the book of Ephesians. It's actually what makes up the armor that is the emphasis. It's not the warfare or the struggle that's the focus of the letter. It's the tools that we have been given in the midst of this spiritual battle. That is the focus. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. When we look at it from this angle, it has everything to do with the rest of the book of Ephesians. In fact, uh, he's referenced these uh, about 30 times throughout. And now he's circling back. And the armor illustration is meant to bring together what he's been trying to get across the whole letter. So, for instance, when Paul is talking about the shield of faith, uh, he's really putting a bow on what he's already been talking about. Because he's already said to the Ephesians church, uh, uh, we are saved by God's grace through faith. He's already said to the church that it's through our faith that we can approach God with confidence and with freedom, through our faith. In other words, if you approach God thinking that your works are going to get there, you'll never be good enough. Uh, if you enter His presence this morning based on the kind of week you had, then some days you'll enter in, some days you won't. But if you come here based on the faith of the work of Jesus Christ, Paul says, Based on faith, you can enter his presence with confidence and with freedom. I hope you know a couple things in this church. I hope you know that, that you're wanted here. We love you here. We want you to be here. But more importantly, I hope you understand that, that, that that's how God feels about you being in his presence. That God wants you there that a huge price was paid to get you there. Paul is encouraging us throughout this letter. And as he concludes, he says, in this spiritual battle, I want you to see your faith like a shield, like your first line of defense. He says specifically that a shield that is able to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. Now my interpretation of that is it's a shield of faith that can block anything that Satan throws your way. We, we read this passage and we see flaming darts and we, we think about flaming darts, but biblically let me tell you what his two primary flaming darts are. Lies and accusations. Those flaming darts that Satan throws at us usually come in the way of lies 
or accusations. And what Paul is saying to do is, by faith, we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do this? Maybe you've heard the phrase, every defense needs a good offense and vice versa. The Bible says that we have been given an impenetrable defense with a shield of faith. But we have been given an unstoppable offense called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. How do we deflect the lies and the accusations? How do we make the, these thoughts obedient to Jesus Christ? We go on offense and we stand on the Word of God. The same thing that Jesus did in the garden. So when Satan comes to you and he says, God does not want you. God does not want you in your presence. You stand on the Word of God. We say Romans 8.15 says, I have been adopted into the family of God. I have been chosen by the Lord Most High. Brought into sonship, into a relationship with the living God in such a way that I can cry out to Him through the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. That is the relationship that has been bestowed upon you. When Satan throws his flaming darts at you that say you'll never be more than the sum of your sin. Say the word of God says that my sins have been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. They have been paid in full. I have been redeemed and I am the righteousness of God in Christ. By faith in that reality, I can stand in his presence this morning without fear, but in freedom and confidence. Satan tells you that you will never break free from those struggles in your life. You recognize them for what they are. Flaming darts and arrows coming from the enemy. And you put up your shield of faith and you respond by going on the offense with the word of God. You say that Jesus himself said, I came for the purpose of setting every captive free. Of setting everyone under oppression free. Of everyone in bondage free. And can I tell you, when Jesus sets his mind to something, it happens. We even get uh, past that to the belt of truth. Uh, I used to think that the belt of truth kind of got the short end of the stick. Because who cares about the belt on the armor? But just me? Okay, just me. But when Paul gets to his conclusion... He brings the church back to truth. He's already been talking about truth. This is the seventh time that he's talked about truth. So he's circling back to emphasize it. He says, you buckle the belt of truth. Now, in, in a Roman coat of armor, the belt was actually where the rest of the armor came together. So it was actually a vital piece that the rest of the armor centered around. You connected every piece of the armor it came together at the belt. So when Paul says that the belt is like truth, he's saying everything encircles this one piece. Truth. Everything revolves around this one piece of armor. The belt of truth. Now, we had somebody come out this week to tune our piano. It hasn't been done in uh, probably over 20 years. And, and it's kind of fun to watch. It's almost a lost art because... Uh, if you tune a guitar, you have six strings and you just get a guitar tuner. 
and you go one by one and you look at the, well, I, you can do it on your phone now, just look at your app and say, okay, I'm on the road. <coughs> the way that at least this lady tunes a piano is she says, you, you find the A note because it's exactly 440 hertz. And then everything else you tune by ear based on that one note. Every other note on the piano is in tune based upon that one note. When Paul talks about the importance of truth, and he talks about it being the bell, it's just like that. Everything else depends on the truth. You can have all the faith in the world, but if it's not in the truth, it's wasted. You can have every other piece of armor that you want, but if it's not in the truth, some of the nicest people I know don't have the truth. The truth is the most important piece of armor in here because it holds everything together. Where do you find truth, church? You find it in here. And you don't just find it on Sunday mornings. You find it in here on your own time, too. We have got to get back to being a church that stands on the Word of God. I think it's important uh, to stop for just a minute and revisit Paul's audience here. Uh, when we read the book of Ephesians, there are a couple of factors that help us to really understand who he was writing to. Uh, in many of Paul's letters, if you looked at 1 Corinthians or Colossians, when he gets to the end, he sends his readings to specific people because uh, he knows the people that he's writing to. But in the book of Ephesians, all of those personal readings are missing. Uh, it, it's, it's just nothing to a specific person, which is very unusual for Paul's letters. Uh, the second factor that helps us understand is uh, in the earliest manuscripts of the book of Ephesians, the word Ephesians or Ephesus is actually missing. Uh, everything else in the letter is normal. Everything else seems just right. But Ephesians is missing. And, and what scholars have determined based on these two facts, based on the fact that he doesn't reference anyone by name, and based on the fact that Ephesians is missing from some of the early manuscripts, is they say that, that this book was not written specifically to the Ephesians. It was actually written for the purpose of being a letter that cycled through the churches uh, of the early New Testament. Uh, it was written for the purpose of going from church to church to church. In other words, when Paul wrote this book, the encouragement and the instructions were not circumstantial. They were meant to be universal truths. A universal message that is universally applicable to every church in every season. Applicable to every believer in every season. Meaning wherever you are on your journey of faith, this book is applicable to you. When Paul writes and he reminds us of God's grace over and over and over, you need to take that and make it your own. That because of God's great love for you, rich in mercy, God has taken you from a place where you were dead in your transgressions and brought you to a place of alive in Christ. 
for you, Paul writes, to remind you of the incomparable riches of God's grace for you. That salvation comes not by anything that you can do, but by His grace alone. For you, Paul writes, to remind you that you can know everything in this book that you want to, but until you know God's love for you, you won't know Him in fullness. There will always be something missing from your relationship with God until you begin to grasp His great love for you. It's a reminder to you, church, that we serve a God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. You know what we need to begin doing is asking and imagining. God wants to do so much, but the biblical narrative says he invites us into partnership by saying, this is how you pray. Thy kingdom come here. Why doesn't he just bring his kingdom and be done with it? He wants to invite us into partnership. It's for you, church, that he reminds you of his love and his grace. It's also for you that he reminds us that as believers, we should be seeking unity, patience, humility, peace with one another. You see, when Paul writes and he concludes with the armor of God, the armor itself or the battle itself is not meant to be the emphasis, but the tools that he's given us. And this is important. It's not that the battle doesn't exist. It's that our focus should be on the tools that he's placed in our arsenal. Faith, salvation, the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit. And I think this is important because uh, I've been a part of ministries before uh, that kind of went sideways somewhere along the road and, and decided that, that our job is not so much to lift up Christ as it is to fight the evil. If we were to turn out all of these lights in this place and I gave everybody a bucket and I said, take this bucket and get rid of all the darkness, it wouldn't make any sense because that's not how you get rid of darkness. You get rid of darkness by bringing the light. The reason that Paul focuses on what we have and not what we're fighting is because what we are called to do is to walk in faith in accordance with the word of God, with the gospel of peace and righteousness and salvation. We have been equipped. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Are you tired of seeing the darkness when you walk through the doors? Stop trying to get rid of the darkness and bring the light. Be the light, church. I kind of got lost for that. You know <laughs> Paul, you guys can go ahead and stand with me. Paul concludes, I guess he concludes his conclusion by saying, your feet have been equipped with the gospel of peace. It's so interesting to look at this in this passage because he's talking about a battle and warfare in the heavenly realms. But he says, you have been equipped with the gospel of peace. So we don't go out looking for a fight, but we recognize that part of what God has given us spiritually in this battle of life is feet that take peace with us everywhere we go. 
that take the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, everywhere we go. to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast 
for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.